So I want to talk today about weaknesses, and I wonder when you think of a weakness, what your weakness might be. Well, as I thought of a weakness, I thought of emotional eating. Does anyone ever do that? Stress relief eating? Yep. <laughs> and I realized that my, my favorite weakness is Turkey Hill's chocolate peanut butter cup premium ice cream. And a year ago, I remember I'd, I could hardly wait for dinner to be over. And I'd be in the freezer getting it out, two scoops. And do you know I'd go back for a third? I kept that nightly ritual going for a while until I started noticing when I'd sit down that my pants were a little tight around the waist. Well, it, it got bad enough that there was a point where I remember being here with a worship and healing and saying to you, Sherry, I said, do I need to worry if my heart feels like I'm having chest pain? She said, I think you need to have that checked out. So I ended up at the heart doctor. Now, this is where it gets real. I'm talking to the doctor, what do I need to do? And she doesn't really, she's beating around the bush. But then right before she leaves the, the, the door, she kind of pokes her head back in and she says, you know what? You are not only overweight, but you're on her way to obese. And I thought, okay, now I've heard it. I thought, now it's time to make some changes. You know, that was a wake-up call. And I wonder how many of us sleepwalk through life until we get that wake-up call, where we're just kind of going through the motions, and a lot of times just trying to cope. Does anyone relate to that? Just trying to deal with stress, finding ways to just get through each and every day. And when I do that, I'm aware, maybe you are too, of how weak I am. And that's why this morning I want to talk about this. When I am weak, I am strong. The wonderful thing is that even though we as humans are weak, God is strong. Our strength comes from the Lord. So no matter what your weakness is today, I hope you can hear that. Take a moment just to think for yourself, where is that point of weakness for you even today? Where are you feeling that? sense of weakness. Maybe it's emotionally, just feeling a little bit more fragile. Maybe physically you're dealing with something that's making you realize just that you're aging or you're fragile, that you have physical needs. Maybe there's a relationship where you're sensing that, that needs God's healing. You know, as we walk through this season, we don't talk often as a church maybe about the traditional seasons of the church year, such as Lent, but we're about ready to head into that season. And often in the church's life, it's a time of really reflecting on our own brokenness and thinking about Jesus' road to the cross. So as we do that this year, I was counting out Easter Sundays eight weeks away. And as we, as a church, journey toward that time of when we celebrate the, re the resurrection and that empty tomb, I invite you to consider how we would walk through this season of Lent, this journey to the cross. And we'll talk a little bit later about going on a spiritual adventure during this time. You know, an adventure is really something that's not typical, it's unusual, it can be a little hazardous or risky. And a spiritual adventure is one that really affects our souls and our spirits. It's a time of intentionally considering, how does God want to stretch me during this time? Becoming more aware maybe of my need for God in this season. And so I invite you, whether it's emotional eating or something else, that you consider, where is it right now? Where's my greatest point of need? And how would God have me use this season 
to really be able to become more aware of my need for God, to become more reliant on Him. Because when I am weak, I am strong. During this time, we're going to talk about Jesus' journey through this, through this season towards the cross. Next week, I'm excited, John Byler from Global Disciples will be here. I will be with the 15 heading to North Carolina with Mennonite Disaster Service, and John will come and be giving a message on John 17. So we'll pause a bit here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll take some time to consider what it was that Jesus prayed during that time. And then we'll continue after that with piercing word coming to kind of give us a picture of what happened in the passion of the Christ, and then looking at the arrest of Jesus the following Sunday in the, on March 8th. So I want you to just imagine here, this is an artist's rendition of Jesus in the desert. It's not actually the Garden of Gethsemane, but it has, it pictures kind of maybe what he might have physically, his nonverbal communication would have been communicating, his head bowed low. I want you to think as you look at that picture that this is Jesus who is fully God, we're told, but fully human. We don't understand that. But that's what we're told. The scriptures explain this. Jesus is fully God and fully human. I want to talk today specifically about his humanity as we think about our own weakness, how Jesus understands our weakness. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that Jesus came to understand and sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that good news? Jesus never sinned, but he gets what it's like to be human and to have shortcomings, to have a weakness. We'll talk more about what that looked like for him. What we know, that, what we know is that he is introduced in John 1 as the creator of the universe, the one who created humanity. And he knew this in taking on human flesh about humans. In Psalm 103, it says that we are but dust and our days are few and brief. Think about it. Jesus knows what we're made of. He understands and sympathizes with us. And that's why when he says these words in the passage that Dick just read to us, he really shows that he gets what it's like to be human. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 if you're not there yet. And look at verse 38. What are the last words, that last sentence? Would someone read that out nice and loud for us, the last words that Jesus speaks in verse 38 of Mark 14? Yes. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Any thoughts on what you think that means? Anyone? What do you think that means? Sometimes I do what I don't Yes, sometimes I do what I don't want to do. Absolutely. Good. Other thoughts? Is weak. I've seen another one that says, our spirits are eager and willing, but our bodies can betray us. 
Isn't that interesting? Our bodies can betray us. Well, Jesus speaks these words in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a a real-life event. It happened here on earth. That's one of the things I love about Christian faith, is we believe in things that really happen, not just a book of Proverbs, of wonderful spiritual principles, but of real events that are unvarnished. Like, we get the honest-to-goodness truth, don't we, when we see these stories of people at their best and at their worst. So Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which in Aramaic means the oil press or olive oil press. It was a garden of olive trees. I'm curious, some of you have been there. How many have seen that? Couple of you here? Yes. Can you tell us anything about that? Since I've never been there, I'd love to know. What's it like? And those olive trees are kind of twisted, are, are they? Yeah. Are they close together? Is it pretty? Some places it's a little thick. What's interesting is this place, Gethsemane, olive oil press, is located on the lower slope of the Mount of Olives near the brook Kidron. And Kidron comes from the Hebrew verb, kadar, which means to grow dark or mourn. How fitting that it was called that. Because there in 2 Samuel 15, 23, we read about King David. Do you remember King David having to vacate the the, uh, palace, the kingdom, and having to leave? It says there that he left Jerusalem weeping as he crossed the Kidron Valley and went up the Mount of Olives. Think about the significance now. As Jesus, the son of David, comes into that same valley... He's not leaving Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him there. The cross is before him, and he's experiencing great sorrow. So here in the garden, sit here while I pray a while. He tells his inner circle, his 11 disciples. Judas, of course, is the betrayer, who he says at the end is on his way, coming toward him. And he chooses three in his inner circle. Who are they? Who are those three? Peter, James, and John, right? Where else had he taken them aside? Do you remember? Yeah. Isn't it powerful? I thought of that and I thought, isn't it amazing? These three saw Jesus in a a way that really, I don't think anyone else did, did they? Where Where he showed his glory. The glory we're told in Philippians 2 that was hidden is now completely expressed right there on the mount. And now they see him fully God, but now fully human. And it says that he he takes those three and walks a little further and then asks them to wait there. And before he leaves them, this is what he says. My heart is overwhelmed with anguish, crushed, with grief. I wondered as I read those words, what would it be like to say them as Jesus did? I don't even know how to read those words without giving the feeling that he must have had in them as he spoke them. And then he says these words, which are incredible. Think about this, fully God, fully human. He says, it feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. In your Bibles, what does it say he does next? What do you have there? Does anyone want to read to us just what happens? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that incredible to think about that? Think about Jesus. Sorry about that. Think about Jesus throwing himself to the ground face down. Do you ever see Jesus that way? Have you ever been in a place like that yourself? You're just face down, completely done, worn out, overwhelmed, maybe crushed. And here is Jesus. He throws himself on the ground. And we read, here's an artist's imagined picture of what that would have looked like. When you see that, don't you just see complete abandonment? Just the, I mean, you look at that and there's a picture of exhaustion at the end kind of of what he physically can do. Mark describes what he's experiencing, an intense feeling of great horror plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. Jesus knows that we are weak but he also identifies with our weakness. It's one thing, isn't it, to be able to know what something can be like. It's another thing to really relate and say, I've been there. I've walked in your shoes. Flip over to 2 Corinthians. We'll come back to Mark 14, but if you would flip over to 2 Corinthians 13.4. We're going to look a few times at this scripture 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It says here in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, he was crucified in weakness. What does that mean? Crucified in weakness. One interpretation is that he was weak and that he yielded himself and laid his life down on the cross. That's how he identified with weakness. He laid it down. You know, when they taunted him right in the cross, they said, why can't those angels come now and take you down from the cross? Can you imagine the temptation? He could literally have called for rescue, for intervention. But instead, he refuses And then it goes on to say in that same verse, for we too are weak in him as he was humanly weak. Now let me ask you, how do we know that was Jesus was weak? Are there any times that you see his humanity, his weakness come through in any of the stories? This is a wide open question. There's no particular answer I'm driving for. I'm just looking. When you read through the story of Jesus, is there any point where you see his humanity really shining through? Yes, Judy. Yes. Yeah, when he makes the whip, right? He sees the money changers that have used the temple courts that were meant for the Gentiles, and now they're selling all that's needed for offerings for the inner court for the Jews. And he, is, he says this was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, not a den of thieves. So we see his humanity with righteous anger. Where else do we see Jesus' humanity? Yes! Isn't that something? Falling, he's totally asleep, and they're in the middle of a storm. 
Yes, caring for a friend, Lazarus. He calls him my friend, right? And he goes to his friend and he weeps. He weeps with Mary and Martha, the sisters, in their grief. I was thinking it even when he is there at the woman at the well and the Samaritan woman, and he stops in the middle of the day, and we know it was hot, right? And she told him she had to go in the middle of the day because she couldn't go when the others would go in the cool of the day. And Jesus asks for water. So we see Jesus experienced humanity. I imagine that he sweated in that intense heat in Palestine. At night when it would get cold, he shivered. What do we do with our weakness? Jesus put it all out there. He didn't hide his weakness. What about us? You know, a couple months ago, I had been exercising at the gym and I had a muscle pull. And I was to see my sister the next day at Panera's. We met halfway and she drove up and I, I parked behind the, park, behind the Panera's because I had pulled a muscle. So there I am trying to hide this muscle pull by limping into the, into the restaurant so no one sees. Now, of course, I talked about it to my sister who's a nurse. Can I do anything about this? But I wondered how many of us do that? How many of us hide our weakness? I told a group here in our church that I would tattle on them this morning. And I'm speaking about our seniors that are in our compass group. Compass groups are our small group ministry. And this group meets every other Wednesday. And we had a good time, didn't we, last Wednesday, eating our meal together. They just finished the book of Revelation. You know, one thing I've learned from that group is I'll join them at times for their prayer time. And I'm so aware as I'm with them of just the season of life that they're in. Some of their weaknesses are, not, are pretty apparent. They'll talk about them. I often hear them saying, God is good, even in the midst of it. But one of them a couple weeks ago said, they asked, how can we pray for you? And he said, pray for us in the aging process. I'm so grateful to walk this journey with saints of every generation that can help me learn how do I embrace my limitations, whether they be financial, physical, emotional, relational. When you bump up and you feel like you've come to the end of yourself, can we admit I'm weak? Sometimes in the church, that's the hardest thing for us to do, isn't it? We want to look like we've got it together. No weakness showing here. But this is exactly what Jesus came to do, is to walk alongside weak people. So back in Mark 14, if you flip back there, verse 37, Jesus returns and finds them all sound asleep. And he wakes Peter, and he says to him, Simon, are you asleep? Do you lack the strength to stay awake with me for even just an hour? Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing, for your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is feeble. Does anyone out there have the message for that version at all? Because I'd love to hear what it says there. If you don't, I have it. I love this one. It says, in the, it says our human nature is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. <laughs> Isn't that a picture? Our humanity doesn't have the power to do what our spirits want to do. Our bodies betray our spirits. Have you ever felt that way? You were just tired. You're done. You don't have any more to give. 
I'm so glad that Jesus came not just to know that we're made of dust, that our days are few, not just to identify and say, I know what it's like to be humanly weak, but also to not leave us there. Let's look back at this verse. I'll have it on the screen from 2 Corinthians 13.4. Listen to this verse again from the Amplified Bible. For even though he was crucified in weakness, yielding himself unto death, it says, yet he lives, resurrected by the power of God his Father. For we too are weak in him as he was humanly weak, yet we are alive and well in fellowship with him because of the power of God. Jesus knew as both God and man what it's like to be weak as a human, but he came to show us that we can be strong in our weakness by admitting when we are weak and we need God's strength. So how does he do this? Imagine Peter. This is Peter after the denial. I want you to think as you look at that picture what had happened up to that point. Do you remember when Jesus talked about how he would be betrayed and how he'd be arrested, crucified, and Peter said, no, not on my watch. That won't happen. I will stand up. And Jesus lets him know, you're going to deny me three times. And then what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane right after this moment? Do you remember what he, how he reacted when they came to arrest him? What did he do? Yes, he cut off one of the ears of one of the men, one of his accusers that had come. And Jesus said, no, put your sword away. You get the sense that Peter does not know what he's to do in this moment. How is he supposed to react? Last week, we talked about how Jesus was taken before his accusers and, of fal and false witnesses gave testimony against him. And there is Peter, one of the eyewitnesses who's seen all that Jesus has done and said over those three years of earthly ministry. And where is he? He's outside in the courtyard. Is he giving testimony? No, he's not bearing witness. When he's challenged, hey, you were around Jesus. You're from Galilee. He denies three times. And that's when Jesus' words comes through. When the rooster crows, that's when we see Peter like this. Think about where Peter was. You ever wondered about that? What happened to Peter after this moment? What could have happened to him? He's gone from the scene. The next time we see him is eight weeks from today on Easter Sunday, right? When he's running to the tomb. But even then, after he's met the risen Jesus, he goes back to fishing. And listen in John 20, where it says in verse 19, where he is, it says that he is behind barred doors for fear of the Jews. Behind barred doors. Here is a man that's experiencing incredible contradiction. Do you ever feel that way? I was thinking on the way here. You know, sometimes standing up in front of you all, you'd like to think you have it together. But I realize the contradictions I was sharing in my small group during Sunday school that for me, sometimes the greatest contradictions are those hidden sins, what I call the sins of the Pharisees. And that's why I'm a recovering Pharisee, because the sins of the Pharisees are hypocrisy, judgmentalism, and spiritual pride. And they're so easily hidden within the church. They're so subtle. 
Peter was desperately in need. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. And so we read about Peter at Pentecost. What a day that was. He'd been told to wait in Jerusalem with the others, the other 11 and the, and the others that gathered with them. The Spirit falls, the tongues of fire over their heads. They begin to speak in other languages. And the pilgrims that have come to Jerusalem start to hear in their own language the good news. Some are accusing them of being drunk with wine. He says, we're not drunk with wine. The Spirit of God has come. These are the days that Joel spoke of. What's powerful is to hear how the crowd responded. Imagine, imagine that these were the crowd. It says that they were cut to the heart. Doesn't that look like people who just are aware? They're convicted about their need for God as they listen. And it says that 3,000 accepted his message and were baptized and became a part of the body of Christ that day. And Jesus restored Peter, didn't he? He restored him. If you think about how easily he could have been discredited, right? He had denied Jesus. That could have been the epitaph for Peter. It all ended there. But here it is. His spirit wanted what was right. He was ready for anything in God. All that was needed was the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon him. Look with me again at these verses. Let's read them together from 2 Corinthians 13, 4. For we too are weak in him as he was humanly weak. Yet we are alive and well in fellowship with him because of the power of God. Think about that. That word yet is so powerful, isn't it? We are weak as he was humanly weak. Yet we are alive and well. Over these last weeks, we were looking at John 15, and that whole passage begins with this picture of Jesus the vine and we're the branch. And we said that that was an image that he'd given many times, whether he called himself the bread of life or he talked about himself as living water. He was saying, I am the life source. Whoever is in me will have life. Whoever is not in me will not have life. And that yet is the difference. If we found a life in Christ, yet we are alive and well in fellowship. We are the branches and He is the vine. We are connected inseparably from Him. And it's the power of God that has made us that way. Well, I want to get practical here by asking you to look with me one more time at Jesus and how does He deal with temptation? I remember back at Gordon College, our Bible professor said, you know, I have a hard time believing some people think that when Jesus went into the desert, that it was a done deal he was going to overcome temptation, that there was no way he was going to fall. He said, I find that pretty hard to believe. If that's all it was, was just a test that we knew he would pass, then how could he be truly identifying with us? Think about that. It wasn't, the outcome wasn't already understood. Jesus had to walk through that. And here he is again. So in Mark 14, 35 through 36, it says that he prayed that if it were possible, he would not have to experience this hour of suffering. Here's how he says it. Abba, my father, all things are possible for you. I was looking that up here. 
on this chalkboard. Everything is possible for God. Can you imagine how tempting it would have been for Jesus to say, God, everything's possible. You've got to have other options, right? Why does it have to be me going to the cross? And he says, please, don't allow me to drink this cup of suffering. Have you ever been there? Please don't allow this into my life. Don't allow this to happen. That's Jesus identifying with our weakness. And then we read, yet what I want is not important. Wow. It was a question of comparing, wasn't it? The best with maybe the good. Yet what I want, it's not important. And I love this, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Is that where you are today? I only desire to know and to fulfill your plan for me, Lord. Jesus, we see a resolution. In verse 41, he says, After praying for the third time, Mark writes, He returned to his disciples and woke them again, saying, Do you plan on sleeping and resting indefinitely? That's enough sleep. The end is come. The hour has arrived for the Son of Man to be handed over to the authority of sinful men. Get up and let's go. Don't you see? My betrayer draws near. I told you we'd talk practically about what this looks like in our lives. Turn with me over to Galatians 6.9. This will be the last text we'll look at today. Galatians 6.9. And if you find it, would you read it out loud so we can hear that? So I want you to hear this. Here's the temptation. It's to allow ourselves to become weary or disheartened in doing good. Have you been there? Weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. We're walking a journey where we have to regularly choose between faith and fear. Sometimes the fear is that all the good that we've been sowing will not reap a harvest. Have you been there? Where you've planted and it's cost you and you have not seen that harvest yet? I think of these two in the picture. They look like they have been planting and they're not seeing the fruit of their labor. But that scripture that Brenda read for us goes on to say, for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Do you believe that? That's called walking by faith and not by sight, right? Where you're choosing to believe this is not the end of the story. There is a better story here. I'm not going to give in and believe that this is it. Does anyone have Galatians 6, 7? What does it say there?
A man reaps what is sown. For what you plant will always be the very thing that you harvest. You know, Jesus came. Sin is still present in our world. We still have to choose between fear and faith, walking by sight or walking by faith. But he has broken the power of sin and death. Amen? And so here's what he says. He says, you still have a choice. You can still decide what kind of seeds you're going to sow. Think about sowing seeds. How many people blame their problems and circumstances? But do you know only about 2% of life is circumstance? The rest is a result of consequences from our choices that we've made. So if you've come today, and maybe you can think of right now a circumstance that you're facing, you don't have responsibility for that. That doesn't go into your moral inventory. But if it's a consequence of a choice, that you have, then you and I have to take responsibility for that choice. But here's what's beautiful. If you and I take responsibility for our choice, and we see the bad consequences, then we can make godly choices, right? And plant good seeds that will change the consequences. Isn't that incredible power? Think about that. You can look at your circumstance, and you and I can choose a different ending. The scriptures say here that whatever we sow will be the harvest. So if I see the circumstance as an excuse to plant bad seed, have you been there? I've been there. This is so bad that I'm just going to keep going in that direction. If I see the circumstance as bad, I can easily plant bad seed. I can do something stupid, and that's the kind of harvest I'll get. Why are we surprised, right, when that happens? But if I see the circumstance and I can say, that is really bad. But I don't have to allow that circumstance to destroy my life. Did you hear that? I don't have to allow that circumstance to destroy my life. I'm going to see why I struggle. So this isn't denial. It's not, oh, those circumstances aren't a problem. No, it's looking at them and recognizing how big they are. But then it's making a choice and saying, I'm going to make choices that will honor God. Some of the best stories in the Bible are stories like that. I think of Joseph in the prison. After he's given the prophecy, the dream, he's foretold the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and he's languishing in prison longer, waiting. They forget about him, right? The baker's gone, and the cupbearer forgets about him. And he has to keep pressing on, believing and trusting, even though his circumstances have not changed. He didn't land himself there in jail. It was Potiphar's fault. Jesus has broken the power of sin and death so that every one of us today can admit our need. We can say, you know what, maybe my, concept, maybe my circumstances are bad, but I have a choice because he's broken that power to choose to plant good seed instead of bad seed. So what's that look like during this time? I talked in the beginning about how easy it is to just go through life coping and managing stress, whether you're eating or doing something else just to get by. And how we can so easily just sleepwalk through this life, just trying to make do, to get by, to survive. But during these weeks ahead, these next eight weeks, I invite you, 
with me, with us, to consider ways that God wants to stretch us. Read the scripture with me and then we'll talk about that. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. I've heard it said this way, God's strength shows up best in your and my weakness. Did you hear that? Then God gets the credit, right? They don't look at you and go, what a strong, you're so strong. Instead, they look, look at that weakness. But look at how God's strength is shining through it. And so you, as you and I look at these next weeks, I invite you to say, where is it that God wants to stretch me? Do you have in your bulletin an insert that has a few ideas on it? There it is. It's a yellow card. I'll hold that up there so everyone can see. If you have that, can you just take that out for a moment? Here are just some ideas. I'm not trying to prescribe something to you, but I want you to consider these. And if they're one of them that you want to latch on to, then go for it. Or if there's another one, find that one. Here they are. This spiritual adventure for this season, one would be to memorize a key verse or a passage like John 15. That's why we're having the scripture memory workshop. I know it's easy to meditate in scripture. It's hard to memorize it. Some of us, I hear a lot of us say, I'm too old to memorize <laughs> but I encourage you to give it a try and see the difference it makes as you fill your mind with the truth and you choose to dwell on the truth, especially when you're going through circumstances where it will be so easy to believe the lie, to fill your mind with the truth. And that's what will be expressed in your life. Or pray. We have over here to my right the board that says the kingdom of God and we've written the names of people who we are praying for in 2020 for them to come to Christ, to be transformed by the power of God. Maybe it's a point in your day where you're going to say, I'm going to pray daily for that person. Or maybe it's you take time to build a relationship with someone over a meal. Maybe it's the person whose name is on the board. Maybe it's someone else that God puts in your heart. But you say, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to sit eye to eye with someone and just connect probably do a lot more listening than talking, right? Or maybe it's starting your day. You get in the shower and you have five things you're going to remember from the day before that you want to thank God for. Five things I want to thank. I want to cultivate a spirit of gratitude. So I'm going to thank God for five things. Or it's finding a place in the world where there's a need and taking one step toward using your God-given abilities to respond to it. Or maybe it's pushing pause by abstaining from something. You know what that thing is. I don't. I know what it is for me. It could be TV, video games, going out on the weekend. Could be your cell phone, social media, your lunch hour, keeping up with the news, listening to music. Whatever that is, you push pause on. In our small group this morning during worship, we talked about that, didn't we? Taking time to choose during a car ride to work, to listen to something else, to maybe listen to some worship music, and even sing along. What is it that you and I need these next weeks to be able to center ourselves? Thank you, Michael, for the time, the series on worship. 
and what Tom Kreuter said about spiritual amnesia, how we can so easily forget our need for God's grace. So whatever that is for you, I encourage you to hear these words now as we prepare to go. Stay here and keep watch with me is what Jesus says. I'm thinking that what he means by that is I need you guys. Like angels had to come and, and stand by his side, right? To encourage him because the people wouldn't. <laughs> That's how desperate it was. And he had asked them to come. We read over in Hebrews 12, it says, you haven't yet suffered to the point where you've had to lay down your life. You haven't sweated blood or shed blood like I have. Jesus said, I need you to stay here with me. Could you and I, over the next week, eight weeks, stay with Jesus? Put away some distractions? And could we say together with him, when I'm weak, I am strong. Because God's strength shows up best in my weakness. I don't have to hide it, pretend it's not there. I can wear it and say, this is why I need the Lord. Every day of my life, in this fight to choose faith over fear. Could you pray with me to that end? Lord, we come to you and we recognize today that we are people who are imperfect and yet you love us. How incredible to think that you love us in our mess. You've seen the worst of us, the ugly parts, and yet you love us and you are for us. And so we pray today as we journey together in these next weeks that we would stay with you. We would center on you. We would walk with you and as we do become aware of our own weakness and invite your strength to express itself through our weak lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus who was fully God and fully human. In Jesus' name, amen.